Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Today, we're going to be talking about the different ways in which your organization can work with schools to provide opportunities for students to experience and learn about the arts. Here to lead us in our discussion are Dana Martinez and Shelley Kiala from the Ordway Center for the Performing Arts in Minneapolis. Dana has been the Artistic Director of World Music, Dance, and International Children's Festival Programming since March of 2012. In 2015, Dana was named Presenter of the Year by the North American Performing Arts Managers and Agents. Shelley is the Vice President of Arts Education and Engagement, where she leads efforts in school performances, workshops, residencies, curriculum development, an annual festival, and professional development for teachers. She also creates and manages collaborative work with such partners as the St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists and the St. Paul and Minneapolis Public School Districts. Shelley is currently on the board for International Performing Arts for Youth Organization, specializing in professional development for their annual conference. Dana and Shelley, thank you both so much for being here. What an honor. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you both talk about the various ways in which the Ordway serves your community, and in particular, the impact you have made with students in schools. Let's start by having you discuss the Ordway's Performing Arts Classroom Series. So to start the conversation, what is the Performing Arts Classroom Series? How would you describe it to someone who's never heard of it? Um, well, it's impossible to talk about the Performing Arts Classroom Series without talking about our World <laughs> Music and Dance and, and Children's Festival, which Dana programs um, for the organization. Uh, those two, so those two pieces, the Performing Arts Classrooms and those series for families and, and public audiences are linked. When we have an, an artist come through to do a public performance in the World Music and Dance Series or the festival, they also do, as a part of the contracting process, a set of school performances and some kind of community engagement or learning um, experience outside of the performances. So the Performing Arts Classroom Series refers to the daytime matinee school performances that our World Music and Dance and Children's Festival artists provide for school audiences here. We um, see, as a result of this series, about 50,000 students and teachers come to the Ordway annually, and they come from all over the region, and they get to see a variety of performing artists as a result of this work. So just name a few, if you wouldn't mind, Dana, of what, like, the, the scope of what these artists are. Sure. Well, we usually uh, present uh, around seven world music and dance um, uh, performances a year, and it's dur it is during the school year, so October through May. Um, and then we also have the International Children's Festival, for which we present four or five um, international artists. Um, for World Music and Dance, uh, you know, we've, we've got anything um, from uh, contemporary dance, uh, like uh, Palabolas, for example, um, or we've got um, uh, world music artists. Um, as a matter of fact, we have some coming up. Uh, pretty soon here, Pedrito Martinez Group will be performing in October. Um, and uh, the world music artists are usually uh, artists that have a contemporary sound but um, are, are rooted in, in tradition, in traditional music and a cultural tradition. Um, and then uh, for dance, it's kind of, it's usually the same. It's a contemporary dance company for sure, but then um, oftentimes uh, the companies are rooted in a, in a traditional dance as well. So. So these are companies that can present a, a full evening-length performance and then abbreviate that performance for a 50- to 55-minute student matinee experience. 
Perfect. Well, that's that leads perfectly to what I was going to ask next. Can you sort of take us through a typical performance? So, for example, you have Dance Brazil coming in January. And if I were a teacher and I wanted to bring my class to this performance, what, what should I expect in terms of the overall experience? Well, in terms of what, what we try to do for patrons for school performances is match the experience as closely as possible to what they would experience if they were coming to an evening performance. So we're not we're not creating like a lecture demonstration that you might have in a classroom or in a gymnasium setting or at a school. We really want them to feel what it's like to be at a performing arts center and be a patron. So the doors are open for them as soon as they come off the bus. Um, they're greeted, they're walked to their seats by ushers. Um, we don't give them programs, but they do get study guides in advance. And we welcome them into the into the audience. The lights are dimmed. The whole the whole thing really feels just like you were here for an evening show. And then Dana does a great job of making sure that the artists who are performing are not creating um, a school assembly assembly type. Yeah, yeah exactly, mm-hmm. a school assembly type experience. But they're really thinking about um, cr- creating a concert or an artistic um, experience for the young people. So there's minimal talking. Um, <clears throat> In fact, that's why we create the study guides because we don't we want the teachers and students to do the work of preparing and discussing in advance and after the performance and to really come and be able to experience art when they're here. So they see the same repertoire um, almost always as the evening uh, mm-hmm. audiences do, yeah. just an abbreviated version. Exactly. Well, and actually with Dance Brazil, they're going to see ex- the exact same program that they will for the public that they would see if they came to the public performance. Um, and you know, with Dance Brazil. Uh, again, they are a contemporary dance company. They uh, fuse um, contemporary dance with the, um, the Marshall Street Art um, uh, Capoeira. So uh, there's a, there, it's a very rich, um, um, you know, uh, aesthetic for them because they they not only show you know the, the their technique in contemporary dance, but they show um, you know how uh, contem- the Capoeira um, can can uh, really uh, in, you know enhance their their contemporary dance moves, but then also they have a, a social justice um, underlying theme of social justice. So their their dance tells the story of marginalized people, street people, um, people who have been oppressed, and they bring that to the stage. So that's even uh, you know another learning experience for for the students coming to see a performance. Right, I love that you empower or you put the onus on students and teachers to do the work there and then you are absolutely treating them as as regardless of their age um as almost like adults who would come experience the show so just as a side note i i would highly encourage everybody listening to go online to the ordway website check out how the information is presented each show is clearly listed along with a recommended grades note. So Dance Brazil is listed as recommended grades 2 through 12. I think it, it, it just makes so much sense to do it that way. Can you describe just a little bit, you mentioned briefly the study guides. How do you work with the schools and, I guess, in particular teachers to come up with uh, specific study guides? Sure. It, it's a really dynamic process, and they've evolved quite a bit over the years. I and mean, we started creating them in the 90s. So in order for it to be relevant in the classroom, you have to be very responsive to what's going on in education, which if anyone who's connected to education knows that's a very dynamic, um, you know, set of rules and, and expectations. And, pop, and the population is very dynamic in terms of who's in the school. So we're continuously, um, <clears throat> we're not stuck in a specific mode. We're always trying to refine and look at them and, and see what's the next thing that teachers might need from us that we can use this tool 
um, to deliver uh, to deliver those things. So we always, that being said, a few things we've always had has been uh, kind of a primer on the company, so an about the company, which is similar to what you'd get in a program if you were to come to the show. Um, we've also included, um, you know, the bios and, and headshots of the performers. And the reason for that <clears throat> is to give the teachers an opportunity to talk about career development and to really personalize the experience to kids who might be interested in that kind of a path um, because they might see someone on stage and say, that's what I want to do when I grow up, and they can go back to that guide and read through how that person maybe got to where they are and what kind of education they had. We also include um, like a repertoire of past work, like a discography, for example, if we have world music artists, so that teachers and students might be able to go back and get more content if they were turned on by the music that they heard, um, and then description of what they're going to see. <clears throat> and that's really critical. Uh, because a lot of students who are coming to our shows, they've, they've maybe come to the Ordway before, but if they haven't come to the Ordway, plenty of them have not ever been to live performing arts. So making sure that they have as much, the teachers have as much information as they need to be able to prepare the students is very critical. Mm -hmm. um, to that end, we also have a, um, what it means to be an audience member and what to expect when you come into the venue from a very like basic level, as though you were speaking with someone who had only gone to movies you know, in the past. Like, um, you might expect people will clap after a, a piece or you know, wait for the performers to bow. And all those, you know, remember that you're in a community of, of audience members here. You're not in your living room. So if you speak, that's going to affect the experience of people next to you. So those pieces are all involved um, in the guide. We also have created classroom activities that connect directly to the state standards in Minnesota. We have a, a set of art standards, and there's a national set of art standards that people can go to if they're unclear about what their state offers, or, or um, each state has their own interpretation of that if they've taken the time to do it. So we make sure that <clears throat> we're making it easy for the teachers to connect to content they're, they're expected to deliver. We're not adding an additional you know, thing that they need to become literate in. Mm -hmm. We're saying, here's an activity that will prepare your students for the show or get them excited about what they've seen afterwards in the classroom. And it also hits these learning goals that you're expected to do anyway in a year. So we, we create those um, activities for them. And then um, the other thing that we've developed over the last, like I would say, five years <clears throat> is a primer on contemporary dance and world music. Because what we have discovered in um, looking at the evaluations that have come through after the performances from teachers is that there's not uh, content, particularly for for dance at all, and contemporary dance in particular, in classrooms. There's just not literacy in that art form. So in order for the teachers and students to really get what, you know, feel connected to what they're seeing and not just feel totally isolated from it, they have to understand the history of it. So we talk about um, what the basis of it is, what are some of the pioneers in this art form, what do you expect in terms of costuming when it's contemporary dance, what does choreography look like in contemporary dance, um, and that and that has really helped people to understand it as an art form and not just feel like it's an avant-garde, um, you know, arts experience that's not for them. So those are the basic components. Yeah, and the artists are, are really helpful in tailoring those study guides to their specific performance. Uh, a lot of times the world music um, artists provide a list of, of instruments that will be played during the performance, and, and each instrument has a description of what they are and how they sound, maybe even. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, a, a lot of times uh, the dance companies already have study guides developed, so we, we are able to kind of merge our two, our, our uh, format with, with theirs. Mm -hmm. And um, and especially with the, um, the uh, kind of the, you were mentioning the um, 
other artists that are inspirations to that mm-hmm. to that um, perhaps cho- the choreographer or artistic director of the of the dance company. You know, that dance company is able to give us those inspirations and be able to you know create content for the for the study guide as well. Yeah, our staff actually has a series of questions now yeah. that they've developed that we've developed over time that we send out to the agents and, and artists in advance to inform the study guide writing so that we're really representing right. um, the intent and the background of that particular company. And then we hold periodic focus groups with teachers to get feedback on what's working in the guides and, and um, what could be amended. Right. Wow, yeah, This so this is, you guys are clearly a well-oiled machine in, in this process. <laughs> I wonder, this might be a little tough to do, but maybe just take a step back and kind of break it down. If I was, I mean, what advice would you have to someone listening who really, you know, there's no doubt the value is there to do this. What are some of the things that you would recommend that they do if they're just trying to get some sort of a similar program off the ground and and really offer uh, content geared towards students? I mean, what are, where do you even begin? You know, I I think um, there there are some frameworks that are very um, strong and functional in, in communities around the country and around the region, actually, um, in various performing arts centers that could be looked at as models. But all of these models need to be tailored to the specific needs of each community because education is delivered differently in every state and in every community, and the population is different. So my recommendation would be to do some research, you know, find, um, find some different models that look like they might be attainable by the organization in which you exist. Um, and exciting, you know, in the community in which you exist, and then hold some focus groups and look at those models and ask for teacher feedback, you know, pull some educators together and pull some community members, parents, um, administrators together and um, get some feedback on the elements of those uh, those program aspects and see what resonates. And then you can design something that is kind of rooted and grounded and um, tried and true, but also tailored specifically for the community in which you exist. And that dialogue should never stop. I mean... That's one of the things that we've learned is is to keep that dialogue open so that you can continue to be responsive. Right. That's great advice. So so really start with your audience in mind and get their feedback before you kind of maybe go in the wrong direction because you're really, in the end, you're launching um, kind of a new product that your organization can offer. So I think that's great advice to get that feedback first before you kind of go in the wrong direction. Ultimately, it'll save you a lot of time. Absolutely, and it also, you know, I mean, we live in a world in which we need to raise money, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. need to do that in order to be a legitimate, fundable project. Rather than create things in a vacuum, you're always creating based on community need. And if you take that step and do that, um, then you're able to make such a stronger case for um, financial support. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, let's transition now, and I'd love to hear you guys talk a little bit about the in-school programs you produce. And tell us how those work and, and what are some of the components involved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, sure. So um, we have a program that we call Ordway Artists in the Schools, and um, it brings local artists. We're lucky, we're fortunate that we live in a metro area where we have a very rich talent pool of professional artists and teaching artists. who They live here, so and they have you know, a myriad of cultural backgrounds. Um, they love teaching. They're always looking for work. <laughs> Not every community has this asset. I just want to name that. Um, but we we happen to live in a metro area where we do have this. So um, one of the, the things that we've developed um, over time has been to complement the, the performance experience that where schools come and see a show for an hour, you know, and go back and use their study guide 
with actual arts instruction in the art form in, that the students and teachers saw at the Ordway in their classroom. So we do this um, with three, in three different uh, artistic genres at the moment. One is contemporary dance, one is world music, and the third that we're launching is musical theater. Um, so the, obviously that ties directly to the work on stage, which I believe is pretty critical um, because performing arts are one of the least represented art forms in curriculum. I mean, we could create visual arts residencies, we have, when it's made sense, um, but to invest in ongoing arts instruction, to me it makes sense to invest in the ongoing arts instruction that directly ties to the work we're presenting. So we have um, lo three local teaching artists that go in and teach 10 hours of um, direct instruction on contemporary dance, where they have students um, creating different movement phrases and improvising and um, then talking about the work that they see on stage and feeling what it feels like to be a dancer in their bodies so that when they come to see a performance at the Ordway, they can identify it, identify with it as a creator um, and not just as an audience member. And then we'll, again, do that again in world music as well as in musical mm -hmm. theater. And oftentimes they're able then to meet with the artists that, that they see on stage. They're able to meet with them afterwards and, and be able to ask them questions as well. Mm -hmm. And we've always found that that the touring artists love doing that. So mm -hmm. <laughs> we always get a yes from the artist That's right. that request. <laughs> right. It seems like it would be a great way to really engage the the school and um, sort of in a larger sense bring it back home to the students. So if I were a school administrator in your area, how, how does the Ordway market the program to the school system? In other words, how would I learn about it if I was interested? <laughs> We haven't we haven't had to market it. Um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> if we did market it, we would have fifty thousand students that would want to do this every year, and we have the capacity to serve about two to three thousand. Um, so, so we're kind of trying to figure out right now how to make it visible and create an opportunity for people to inquire about involvement, and then create some kind of a process for involvement that's equitable and fair without adding a ton of administrative work. Um, so, what we have to date done is based on attendance to our performances um, and based on, you know, like the racial and socioeconomic diversity and the arts readiness, but not the arts richness of a school, if that makes sense. So knowing that there's support for arts programming, but maybe not all the resources there that um, to, to make it happen, we've identified schools that we talk, start conversations with and invited them to apply um, to the program. And then the, and then the program application contains a series of questions that that helps them to deeply think about whether they have the capacity and interest to really work in this way. Um, and then once we kind of, it's, it's more matchmaking really than it is, you know, kind of an open enrollment. And then once we find the right match, then that school is invited to be involved for up to three years in this. And the intention on our end is to build capacity in the teaching staff and administrative staff so that once we fully fund all of the work that happens in the schools, they just pay for $3.50 tickets and then we um, reimburse their busing costs. So it's very affordable. Um, once we have invested in that school for three years, then we will um, find another school um, to invest in, and that's and we can provide technical assistance. But that school will have the capacity then to start writing grants to bring artists in, and the, maybe the interest and know a little bit more of what they need, um, which has happened. I mean, this is our dance residency program has existed for close to ten years now, and a number of schools have um, sought funding to continue working with the teaching artists that we initiated in those sites and continue to come to the Ordway. That's really excellent. You guys should open your services up to consultants. I have no doubt that <laughs> everything you're saying, I mean, again, it sounds so well-oiled, but I, I, I know that it took a long time, and that's why it's really, 
I think it's very beneficial to have you describe sort of the process that you've gone through and more importantly where you kind of want to go with everything. It's it's really important that people hear this. Um, well, okay, so let's transition again here. In the intro, we, I mentioned the International Children's Festival. We talked about it just a little bit, but let's kind of break that apart and tell me, for someone who has no idea what that is, how would you describe it and, and how did the festival start? What does it entail? Give us the details. Yeah, well, the we're going to be going into our 16th year of the festival, um, and it was started back in 2001, kind of modeled after uh, the children's festivals, um, the festivals for, for young people that exist. Uh, quite a, you know, There are quite a few of them in, in Europe and in Canada, not quite as many in the U.S., um, but uh, but basically what the, the premise is, is that um, you, um, you bring in artists from all over the world, um, in many different disciplines, and all the work is created specifically for, for young people and families. And the art is of, uh, hi, very high quality, and it also is um, uh, appeals, obviously, to children, but to the adults who, who bring the children, so the teachers and, and parents and grandparents you know, all can enjoy um, the art on the stage. And uh, here at the Ordway, um, our festival usually happens the week after Memorial Day every year. It's an annual event. We bring in um, around four or five international artists. Uh, we present everything from theater to world music to puppetry, circus. Um, we present it all. <laughs> and uh, we usually have four indoor stages and uh, one outdoor spectacle. But we don't stop there. We also um, we have a really... Um, um, diverse population here in the Twin Cities, uh, quite a lot of, of new immigrants. Um, and what we're able to do on the weekend of the festival is uh, we have two outdoor stages, actually all week of mm -hmm, the festival. Mm -hmm. We have two outdoor stages and a storyteller stage. And um, last this last year we presented over 650 local artists, so local um <laughs> community uh, dance groups, um, bands, professional bands, um, youth performers, um, you know, professional uh, performers, and it's just a, an amazing, um, you know, display of, of the talent that's here in the Twin Cities. Uh, also um, involved in the festival, uh, we have what we call festival partners, mm -hmm. and those are um, local organizations, usually arts-based organizations, that... Um, uh, have a tent in in the park uh, that's right in front of the Ordway, um, and they uh, uh, sponsor you know they they sponsor a make and take uh, art activity, and then are able to promote their their organizations as well. So it's it's a real it's a true partnership uh, between the Ordway and those organizations. So we have all kinds of um, arts activities, um, and all of the outdoor activities and the performances outdoors are free. Um, the indoor performances are really accessible. Um, with a low ticket price uh, during the week, we have four school days where we uh, bus in. Gosh, how many is it now, Shelley? Close Over to twenty thousand. Twenty thousand students. Um, again, it's the three dollar and fifty um, mm -hmm. cent uh, per ticket price, just like for our performing arts classroom series. Mm -hmm. And then on the family weekend of the festival, tickets um, are really um, low price at five dollars a ticket. So it's it's a wonderful um, accessible event where one can see. You know, performing arts from wonderful performing arts uh, from all over the world. 
it's a great event. <laughs> wow, absolutely. Do you find that some of the same students, classes, schools who participate in the uh, classroom series are coming to the festival as well? Sometimes. I mean, often what we'll see is a school, an entire school will come to the Ordway in any given year, and they'll just differentiate which performance they go to by grade level. So we might see the fourth and fifth graders at a flamenco show. I'm making this up, but like at a flamenco show at one point, and then we'll see maybe the kindergartners and first graders at one of the circus shows at the festival. So the same schools are coming back, and then they make it an annual tradition. But um, typically just because even with $3.50 tickets and bus reimbursement, schools are often only able to afford one field trip or two field trips maybe most um, per grade level per year. Mm -hmm. So um, so we will see we will see that school engagement across the year, but just grade level. Yeah, our, our children's festival is targeted to, to the younger right. children. Uh, so uh, our market, our target market is of ages 4 to 10. Um, so you'll see the younger grades coming during the week. And on the weekend, uh, you'll see families who bring their, their infants, you know, their yeah. babies. And, and sometimes it's, you know, some older kids come. Um, but it's usually that four to ages four to ten range. One of the great things that um, we're able to do during the children's festival, because we're working in different size venues, not just in the large our large hall, which is where we present most of the shows during the year, is like an eighteen hundred seat hall. But we work with multiple sizes during the festival. Um, is to differentiate the offerings. So, for example, this year we're offering a couple of Spanish-speaking performances with a company that's uh, going to be here from Mexico, and then the rest of their performances are in English. We're able to offer, um, for the second year in a row now, a sensory-friendly performance um, once during the week because we know we have the community that can populate that show. So the festival really affords us the opportunity to do some really interesting experimenting um, with, uh, with kind of differentiating the performance experience and tailoring it to communities here, both because of the length of time that these companies are here and also because of the performance, uh, the venue sizes that we, that we have. Exactly. Would you, is that absolutely that's true? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, can I add something about? Sure. Oh, please, absolutely. Since our, since our presenters listening, I, <laughs> I want to say that um, you know one of the things that I have seen um, other performing arts centers kind of think about, and this this one too, is do you merge the programming role that Dana does and the education oversight role that I do? Um, into one job, and I know some places do this out of mm -hmm. necessity because of you know size and budget. But one of the beauty, beautiful things I think that the fact that our roles are different but connected has afforded us is that Dana is able to spend a, a ton of her time um, seeing work. She sees work not only in like around the world and nationally, but she goes to a lot of things locally. Mm -hmm. And as a result, she's able to forge relationships between our local artistic community and the touring artists that um, we would not be able to do if she had to focus on other things in addition to her programming. And that has really served us uh, in terms of our ability to have positive relationships with our local community, wouldn't you say? That's yeah, yeah. I mean, I when I'm, I'm able to go out and, and see so many different performances and, you know, the Twin Cities, I mean, we've got so many wonderful um, artists, so many, um, the dance is really big here, um, contemporary dance, as is, uh, the world music scene uh, we've got because of the the diverse community. So yeah, I'm able to to go out and and see and meet so many different people. I, I think it's so terrific. And then you know as as uh, projects come up, um, and um, we've we've been doing kind of these these uh, uh, this focus uh, each year for world music and dance um, for the last four years now um, on a certain culture or country, and it. 
usually it's related to the, the population that we have here. So um, the first year we did it was a focus on Mexican, Mexican-American artists. The second year was the African diaspora. Uh, last year was Cuba. This year, this coming year is East Asia. And then I'm hoping to do a native um, artist focus as well. So, I mean, if I'm able to go out and meet the people who, are, who um, the artists that, that are part of those communities, um, it's just, it's just so much easier for us to be able to to make those um, you know connections later for our community engagement and education. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and um, actually, that was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's. I'm just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I think everything you you guys have described could arguably be called community engagement. But I know is, and I don't think we've talked about this yet. But there's another initiative that you guys produce that is called community community engagement. Right? Is can you yeah. describe a little bit about what that entails? Sure. I mean, it's basically a name for arts learning outside of a school day um, structure. So it is um, pr- performance enhancements that are designed for people that would be coming to an evening or a weekend performance. So like a pre-show lecture um, demonstration, a post-show a, a reception, um, a dance class maybe for patrons, and then also larger scale initiatives that um, include out-of-school time programming for youth. Um, We're actually in the midst of one right now where we have young people from three different uh, social service organizations collaborating to create uh, work that we're going to put on stage prior to the Lula Washington Dance Company performance here. And um, the young people are working with local teaching artists. So it's over the summer they're doing all this work. So it's out-of-school time, but it still is education. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, we also have... um, large-scale initiatives like Dana was talking about where we focused on Mexico or uh, another country or region, um, Cuba and the African diaspora and this year East Asia, that will um, engage local civic and artistic leaders who identify and work in that cultural identity, identify with and work in that cultural identity to help um, create the ancillary programming, basically, so that we are, as, as staff of an organization who happen to be presenting this work, aren't saying, well, here's what we should talk about prior to dengue fever being here, but we're actually collaborating with people locally who know, who love dengue fever, listen to them every day. And are actually maybe from Cambodia or have right. their, their parents are, yeah. That dengue fever is a Cambodian um, rock band based out of L.A. So, you know, really reaching into the community and defining what those surrounding activities should look like so that um, they're really rooted in, in the context here. So that's a... I think that describes basically the scope of it. So it's both mm-hmm. project-specific work and also ongoing ancillary programming around our public performances. Right. That's wonderful. Um, boy, I'd love to have you guys keep talking about this, but I know that we don't have too much more time. And I mean, I think this has been a really great, if you're just starting to think about how to do these types of things as a presenting organization, what a great introduction to the creativity and just how vast, how much opportunity there really is um, for the community and schools. And I think you guys have covered a lot of great things. Maybe to wrap up, um, you can describe, why don't you describe, uh, you know, the 15-16 season is right around the corner. Um, what are you guys most excited about besides everything that you're presenting? <laughs> what, what should we all check out? <laughs> wow. Well, I'm really excited about this this um, initiative that we have, um, the focus on, on East Asian performers and, and the community uh, we've got a huge Southeast Asian uh, community here in the Twin Cities, and I, you know, I'm really excited to begin um, connecting with them. Um, uh, it, the artists that we have coming up that, that fall under that, that category are it's Dengue Fever, 
And then we have a soap dance company from South Korea. We have Hangai, which is a, um, a group uh, from Beijing, China, but they are, um, they, they are Mongolian. Um, and they sing in Mongolian and they, they do throat singing. And I think they're going to do a throat singing I think we're going to have them do a throat singing lesson, so I'm really excited about that. <laughs> and um, then Tycho Project um, from from California. So that's what I'm excited about. I can't wait. What about you, Shelley? Yeah, ditto. Um, <laughs> and a really cool opportunity that we're starting off this with this season is um, really bridging our focus from last year, which was on Cuba. We did a lot of cultivation of um, both supporters of Cuban artists as well as Cuban artists themselves last year, and there there is a population here in the Twin Cities. It's not huge, um, but our first performer is Pedrito Martinez, who is a, a Cuban percussionist and band leader. And so it's been fun to reconnect with some of those folks from last season and um, have them kind of come into this next season with us as partners because we've already developed that trust and relationship. And that's another thing that we try to do um, is make sure that we have through lines for communities that we have connected deeply with in past seasons so that we're not just, you know, connecting with them for a year and then saying see you later until um, a few years down the road, but we actually have a way to keep the conversation and the relationship going. So I'm excited about that first show. Great. Well, you guys have me fired up. I love going how to do Mongolian throat singing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to know what that would sound like. <laughs> I think I can do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Dana and Shelley, what a great discussion. I can't thank you both enough for your time to do this today. I've, I've certainly learned a lot. Um, and again, I want to thank you both so much for participating and being on Speaking of the Arts. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Our Mike. pleasure. Absolutely. Have a great day, guys. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.